Have you ever broken anything? Of course you have, right? We have all broken something. If you've been on this planet for more than a day or two, you've broken something. I want to invite you to imagine a time in your life when you broke something. How did it feel? What emotions came up inside of you? You know, when I think about all the stuff that I've broken in my life, I recall broken bones, broken toys, broken dishes, a couple of broken car bumpers, even some brokenness in relationships. Brokenness happens, doesn't it? And I can recall, uh, for me, one of the, the main emotions I have is anger. I just get angry when I break something. Usually I'm just angry at myself. And uh, kind of this sense of regret. And it's just a reminder that I'm not perfect. It's a reminder that I'm not in control. Even though something down inside me, you know, kind of thinks I am in control. It's only when I break something that I realize, oh yeah, I'm not in control. Uh, except it kind of is veiled in a lot of anger a lot of times. You know, sometimes we break things due to accidents. Sometimes we break things because we kind of lose control. We might get angry. Sometimes we break things because we neglect something. We don't take care of it. And then one day we find out it breaks. Brokenness happens. And then, of course, there's just natural wear and tear. You go down the road of life long enough and stuff is going to begin to break. Last week, Augie talked about this Isaiah vision of a stump. Well, a stump is really just a broken tree, isn't it? In our world, you could say that we have a broken systems, a broken political environment, broken systems of justice. Too often, once something is broken, we think that it will Never be the same again. The oracles of Isaiah are spread out over a pretty good period of time. For parts of the book, the empire of Assyria is the great threat to the people of Jerusalem. But in our passage today, the setting is about 150 years later when the nation of Babylon is now the big empire on the block. Babylon invades and destroys Jerusalem, which was thought to be invincible, and hauls off their leaders, their warriors, their skilled craftsmen, the educated, all the way to its homeland, about a thousand miles away. You can see this map there of what we call in the Bible the exile. This is a significant human trafficking endeavor in the 6th century B.C. The temple of God at Jerusalem is destroyed. The land that God had promised Father Abraham back in Genesis has been taken away from God's people. They have lost what appears to be everything This, my friends, is the brokenness of a nation. 
the nation of ancient Israel. And it came at the hands of an empire called Babylon. Now there are a lot of reasons why this happened. The scriptures attest to Israel's unfaithfulness to God, to their worshiping of false gods, to their not taking care of their own, especially those who are vulnerable in their society. But Babylon was the means through which all this happened. But even beyond being hauled off to a place far, far away from their homeland, there is also another threat that Babylon proposes, and that is not just the threat of their geographical area where they live, but the actual threat to their faith. It's one thing to take away the temple and the land. It would be another thing entirely to remove God from the memory of the people of Israel from their lives and from their consciousness. And so it's in this place of Babylon where God's faithful people have to hunker down. People like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego who do not bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, even at the possible cost of their lives. People like Daniel, when it was, they were ordered not to pray, Daniel still prays, even at the risk of his own life and being thrown into the den of lions. The people of Israel have found out that they are no longer on their home turf anymore. And in Babylon, you have to act and be different than you do when you were in Jerusalem. This experience in Israel's history called the exile has left its mark significantly upon God's people, so much so that Babylon has become a metaphor for the influence and the powers of this world. Political influence, military influence, economic influence, worldly power. And this power and this influence can be a threat to God's people's faith in God. In the book of Revelation, John uses Babylon language as code language to talk about the empire of Rome, the great and mighty empire of his day. In Genesis chapter 11, we see the story of the Tower of Babel, where people get together and they build something up toward God in heaven. It's a representation of human achievement, human accomplishment, human striving, and the great things that we can do as human beings. For ancient Israel, Babylon was a real empire. For the new Jesus followers, Rome was the Babylon of the day. But what are the Babylons of today? Do we have a Babylon? Can we see that there might be something in our world, in our life, that we can maybe put a name to or have some understanding? What does it mean to be the people of God in our world today, 2019? Barna researchers David Kinneman and Mark Matlock use this language of Babylon as a metaphor in their latest book. And that latest book is entitled Faith for Exiles. 
Five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in a digital Babylon. So this book is built around this idea that being in exile is where the church is finding itself more and more in society today. The church is no longer in the center of culture. We've been really more marginalized to the edges of culture. We don't have the same kind of influence on culture anymore as we used to. Kinnaman and Matlock say that today's Babylon is not so much geographical. If you have Wi-Fi, a data plan, and a smart device, then you're inside the realm of digital Babylon. You know, in this world, it's really quite dazzling, and much of it can be very good. We have so many blessings and benefits to this technology. In this empire of digital Babylon, we have more access to more information than we ever have had in the history of the world. At the touch of a button. We are more connected to people around the globe. I have an app on my phone. It's called WhatsApp. And in this app, I can communicate with some of my seminary friends around the world. All in one little group chat. From Myanmar to India to Nigeria to the U.S. of A. And I can send them a message right now. Probably wake someone up in the middle of the night. We can work together in our world in ways like never before. All the great technological and wonderful things that we have built in digital Babylon. And yet at the same time, there is a dark side to this kind of empire. Proving once again that in human history, our technology cannot ultimately save us. That we will not just progress ourselves into the kingdom of God, but that we are still broken and in need of a Savior. For example, along with all this access to information comes a sense of heightened anxiety. There's so much information, we don't even know what to do with it. We don't just read the paper, throw it away, and then hit the nightly news anymore. You can pull up information any time of any day. You don't even know if it's true or not, or half true, or seven-eighths true. How do we process it all? Young people have what's called FOMO. You know what FOMO means? FOMO is an acronym that means fear of missing out. What's going on out there? What are my friends talking about that I don't know about? There could be something really important. Creates a sense of anxiety. There's always breaking news. Like is there, you ever turn on the, those constant news channels? Is it ever not breaking? You know, it's like you, you never see not breaking news. Regular news. No, it's always breaking. It's you're fresh, it's right now. I saw just one example. Three people got killed in a bus crash in Utah. What am I supposed to do with that news? Am I supposed to be upset about that? Do, do I have compassion to cry for every person who dies in a bus crash? Am I supposed to send them a letter? Am I supposed to 
how do I file that into my life? Most of us probably see that, and the only thing that does is it just puts one more little quiver of fear when we get on a bus next time. Too much information. And then finally, constant surveillance. Which for those of us who are parents who now have kids who are driving, that's kind of a good thing, we think. But when you are 24 years old and something you tweeted when you were 14 gets put out and it ruins your reputation, the rest of us say to ourselves, I'm so glad we didn't have Twitter when I was 14. Can I get an amen? Because we've all screwed up, haven't we? And in this graceless world, there's not a lot of forgiveness. This is the mixed bag that we live in today. This is all relatively new. And yet, oh so old. We call it digital Babylon. It is good, bad, and ugly. The hardest part about digital Babylon, and I think the part of our job as God's people, the church, is that we are to ensure that this Babylon does not become a substitute for or a threat to our faith. We can be tempted to allow, for example, technology and information to become what we place our lives on. These things right here, these screens, they're disciple makers, aren't they? They will form you and shape you in ways that if we're not aware, paying attention, are not in line with God's character. I'm reminded of the movie Braveheart that came out way back in the day where William Wallace's father dies and his uncle comes to the funeral and after they bury his father, William Wallace, who's a little boy, takes his uncle's sword and it's as tall as little William is and he's looking at the sword and his uncle takes the sword away from him and he looks at him and he says, first of all, I will teach you to use this and he points to his head. He says, and then I will teach you to use this. Brothers and sisters, we better make sure that we know how to use this and that our children know how to use this before we give them one of these. Digital Babylon cannot fix us. It cannot save us. Back to Isaiah's time. Israel is devastated. Israel is broken. Everything has been taken away. And it is in the midst of that situation that we get our text today. Isaiah 35. A text that talks about how the dry places will become saturated. We know what, that, we know what dry is out in West Texas. A place where the dead places will spring forth with life. The desert will become a forest, a fertile field. This promise that there will be a way, a way out of Babylon. A return voyage to Jerusalem. To the glory of God. Where despair will turn into gladness. Where sadness will turn into joy. That's God's promise. 
And that promise comes right in the midst of the deepest, most broken season of Israel's history. That prophecy of Isaiah begins to come true when the Persian Empire comes in, squelches the Babylonian Empire, and allows the Israelites to return and rebuild Jerusalem. God did make a way when there seemed like there was no way. But we know that God did not allow Jerusalem immediately to recover all of its former glory. Partly because time and time again, Israel has proven they really just can't handle that kind of responsibility. But furthermore, in the hearts of his people, God wants to preserve a longing for something more. See, when God gives us too much, we don't long for anything, do we? We get all of our Christmas presents. We don't have a longing for anything. But if there's this sense of, of longing for something, then that kind of makes room for God to come to us or for us to welcome Him. And so God preserves this longing for a greater glory, and that greater glory is Jesus. But that glory is even still out there today. Because even though Jesus came to show us the way, He has not completed His work in the world yet. He is still at work. And if there is work for Jesus to do, if there is still brokenness for Him to heal and, and deliver in this world, then Isaiah's oracles are still alive for us today. They have not been fully used up. That promise has not been fully fulfilled. That there's more of it to come. So when we read Isaiah 35, don't just think, isn't this a nice thing that happened way back whenever? But there's some open-endedness to this that we as God's people today can take a hold of and embrace and place our hope in him. So today in our own digital Babylon, let us hear these words afresh. That God's promise still remains and that whatever brokenness you are experiencing in your life, and we all are, may you be encouraged that God's promise of there will be a way is still there. For many of us, these are great words of hope in the midst of our own brokenness. To know that God comes to us in the midst of the brokenness of His people. And for those of us who are in touch with our brokenness, we say, come Lord Jesus. But perhaps you don't feel all that broken right now. Perhaps your life is going really well. Maybe you're kind of numbing yourself on, I don't know, Christmas cookies and eggnog. There's a lot of options out there to numb ourselves, aren't there? Just to coping mechanisms to get down the road of life. 
Those numbing mechanisms also numb us to the grace of God. They also numb us to the glory of God. And so there is a sense of sobering that needs to happen in this Advent season. You see, when we acknowledge our brokenness, we make room for God to do something new and fresh and different. Something that interrupts our autopilot way of life. Something that shakes us and wakes us up. Something that brings us to a place of alertness, awareness, and aliveness. Advent is defined as the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. Jesus is waiting to arrive in our lives. This Jesus is one who came into our broken world as a humble human being, vulnerable. He is one who gave his life on a cross. Have you ever broken anything? Jesus has. He allowed himself to be broken in this world. Just as his broken body was raised to life, may we find hope in him today. Let us pray. Lord, it is obvious to us today, to many of us, that we cannot fix ourselves, we cannot save ourselves, and that's most likely why we're here. Because we know we need to worship you. We know we need to bow down to you. We know the things of this world alone will never fix us or save us. And so we come today to acknowledge our need for your grace. Come and fill up those places that are cracked, pulled apart, strained, stressed, dry. Let the dry places of our hearts be hydrated. Let the dead places come to life. Oh God, we remember and we cling to your promise today. We are grateful for how you have shown yourself to be faithful throughout the history of your people and throughout the history of our lives. Because of that, we continue to place our faith and our trust in you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.